Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast. And today, guys, we are joined by a very special guest. We're joined by Justin from Wheel of Horror Podcast. Hi, Justin. How you doing? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your show and where people can find you? Yeah, so you can listen to us everywhere. We're on, like, every app. Um, every Monday, we do a horror movie that's chosen by spinning a wheel. And then every Friday, we do the newest movies, whether it's in theaters or streaming. And we have our website, wheelofhorrorpodcast.com. Most active on Twitter, which is at Horror Wheel, and then Instagram, which is just at Wheel of Horror. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, just one more thing before we get started. I want to mention that us, the Silver Screensavers, have an active T Public store now. We got shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, all kinds of merchandise. The link is available on all our socials, but if you are somebody who doesn't have that, one, please get on it, and two, URL is www.tpublic.com slash user slash silver dash screen dash savers dash podcast. All right, we're going to start with our weekly watch list. Justin, you've been watching anything cool this week? Yeah, I actually just just finished Candy on Hulu with Jessica Biel. Um, have you guys heard of that at all? Yeah, no. so during the Oscars, they advertised about nine different Hulu miniseries, and that was the one that I was most interested in. What did you think? It was good. Um, it's only five episodes, so it's pretty short. Uh, but Jessica Biel does a great job, and I love those like true crime murders from like the 70s. So Excellent. All right, Matt, how about you? I saw a few different things. I saw this one called The Outlaws. It's a, like a Korean... It's kind of like a loose cannon cop versus gangster movie. It's got Don Lee in it from Eternals. Um, it's not, nothing super remarkable, like nothing innovative, but it's still like a, a good like sort of cop kicks ass movie if you're into those kind of like movies, almost like a Steven Seagal movie, but better. Um, but it's in Korean. So it was fully subtitled. Um, I also watched Dogtooth, which is an early Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, I, I full recommend it for a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. If, so if you like like The Lobster, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, those movies. If you, if you liked, saw those, liked them, I would say go back to this one. But I wouldn't recommend this one as like a starting point for his work. It's very grotesque yeah. and very dark. Um, our our group chat was like a therapy <laughs> session. You you were very was, disturbed, it seemed. Yeah, it it started out like, okay, this is creepy. Okay, this is messed up. Okay, this is really messed up, and it just devolved from there. Um, but it was well made, well acted, and it got nominated for an Oscar the year it came out, somehow. Oh. Um, and then. One more I want to point out, I watched On the Count of Three, which I believe came out last year, but it just got widely released, um, like, this past week. It was directed by Gerard Carmichael. It was his first directorial debut, so um, it's a new director spotlight, like we like to do on here. Um, the It's about two best friends on the last day of their lives. Basically, their plan is that they, uh, they are both want to die, so they have, like, a suicide pact, and they... Um, are trying to time it out where they're trying to kill each other at the same time, but before they can do it, one of them is like, no, I want one more day, so they 
spend the day wrapping up finished business. It's a very it's a very dark movie. They call it, they market it as a dark comedy, but it's really more like a drama with like comedic elements. They do find humor in the dark subject matter. But it doesn't do so to the point where it's kind of downplaying the seriousness of it. Um, the script kind of lost steam at points, but the performances from Christopher Abbott and Gerard Carmichael were both like fantastic and definitely make it worth a watch, and they definitely carried it. Um, and that's really about it for me. Yeah, that with the concept like that, you could either be very funny and heartfelt or it could be a complete disaster so i'm glad that they they didn't go the disaster route with that one tyler what have you been watching so i've actually watched uh some of alex garland's work actually both of his director like so far that he's directed to get ready for men so ex machina and annihilation so i mean i'll talk more about that next week obviously when we cover men but all right sweet guys i believe it or not i watched the pentaveret oh no <laughs> you guys familiar <laughs> with this so this is the Netflix comedy show about a secret society that controls the world's events, but they're nice. They're nice. They remind you that. Mike Myers created it. He plays about 60 parts in it. So it's like the same construction and kind of like the same wavelength of humor as Austin Powers, but this is nowhere near Austin Powers. I don't quite know what this is. I thought some of the setups and bits were really funny and well done, just like smart comedy. But those were few and far between the jokes that either fell flat or just gross. The story is way too complicated. I'm still not sure if I feel good about my time spent with this. It was like six episodes and, you know, I watched it when I was working on different stuff. So it wasn't a complete waste, but I don't know how to feel about this one. My main impression coming out was just pure shock that this whole thing... In the whole Kafka-esque world of entertainment where it's so incredibly hard to get anything made that this was actually made and produced and you can watch it on TV. I'm like, I'm shocked by that. I know Myers is a big star, especially, you know, a few years ago. And I like Mike Myers a lot. Um, that's the main reason I enjoyed some of this. But this thing is is wild. Have you guys seen any of this? No. I've heard of it. Um I'm guessing, to answer your question, Netflix is hurting really bad, so they would, like, just push it out. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it fell flat, like, even by the Netflix, oh, we have 100 million viewers for our original movie thing. They, I don't think they even put it on their charts, but, yeah, so that, that was odd. But we are going to move now to some Firestarter talk. Before we get into that specific movie, I want to ask more generally... Do you guys have any favorite Stephen King adaptations, Justin? Uh, I'm going to have to go with, I mean, I feel like it is everyone's answer, but I like Misery and Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. I like Pet, Pet Cemetery. is very creepy. Yeah, the old school one. So. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the new one not too long ago, and it was not, not that remarkable. <laughs> Tyler, what do you think? Uh, so I'm going to go with The Shining. Is my top one, obviously, and it's funny because I, uh, Stephen King actually hated that adaptation. Um, but and you know, an underrated one for me is the original Christine. I like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Would you want a remake of Christine? Well, I thought there was a remake. Am I? Th oh, maybe there was. Or there was some kind of mm. car movie, <laughs> car killer car movie. <laughs> You're thinking of Titan, your favorite movie from last year. 
Matt, do you have any favorites? Um, I was going to say Christine, actually. That one's a pretty good one. Um, Cujo, I feel like not too many people talk about Cujo. That one's a rough one to watch, though, because, like, animals and whatnot. But... Yeah, animals and just, like, a mother and her son yeah. trapped in a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that, not always, but it seems as though King adaptations, at least for movies, always kind of fall into, like, two branches. One is the, like, prestige, you know, gets critical acclaim, kind of like the average viewer loves it. I'm talking about the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile. Green Mile has kind of been reassessed over the last couple of decades, um, but, you know, still very big at the time and very big among some viewers now. The Shining you guys mentioned, uh, the Toby Hooper did a Salem's Lot, like, kind of multi-part movie, kind of a mini-series. Stand By Me, you guys Stand By Me fans? I love Stand By Me. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I also wanted to mention Dr. Sleep. I know a lot of people didn't like Dr. Sleep, but I I, 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 I personally, I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, if you take it as an adaptation of Dr. Sleep and not a sequel to The Shining, I guess. I mean, it is a sequel to The Shining, I get it, but... Um, I mean, I like Mike Flanagan's work a lot, so... My main issue with that movie is it just never seemed like it had any stakes. I don't want to, like, ruin much of the movie, but it just... It seemed like there was never, like, an actual threat. Like, I knew how things were going to turn out. I'm just glad we got, like, the whole range of opinions from the two people who have seen that movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's not bad. It's not a bad movie. It really isn't, but um, I was just expecting a little more. And then, Justin, you mentioned Misery. A lot of people love that one. A lot of people love Kathy Bates in that one, deservedly so. And then there is the non-prestige, which are usually more like the horror-concentrated ones that, you know, I always think of, like, these are the ones that were made, you know, the 70s through the 90s. And they show up on sci-fi on like a Sunday afternoon. And you know they're not really that great, but they're really fun to watch, especially if you got friends or family around. I'm talking about Children of the Corn, which is, again, not a bad movie, but uh, the main character is in the middle of murderous children and then like stops to give a lecture about truthful religions. <laughs> like, I don't, Get out of there, man. They also have like seven Children of the Corns. Uh, graveyard shift yeah i didn't know that They're, yeah because i remember the sixth one is like children of the corn six 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 and there may be more uh graveyard shift where there's the big rats pet cemetery you mentioned which i think is a good movie and is creepy um and then the couple of mini series the it mini series are you guys watchers of that did you see that maybe when you were young yeah i saw the the original one I think that one is terrifying. Is that the one with Tim Curry? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that gave me nightmares as a child. (laughs) (laughs) It's so scary. Tim Curry, we we talked about it on on our show where, like, the difference between Skarsgård and Curry and, like, Skarsgård was, like, scary mostly because of graphics and, you know, technology. But, like, Curry was, like, genuinely, like, creepy. Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you're a kid, like... When you see him smile in the sewer, it was it made you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Underrated. Tim Curry is one of the most transformatively powerful actors. I he embodies whole, characters like nobody else. I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I will be discussing that in a couple of weeks on our Tom Cruise episode because he's going to get a shout out on there. 
I also have a soft spot for uh, the Stand miniseries, the original one with Gary Sinise uh, and Molly Ringwald and all them. I really love that one. I watched the new one on, on CBS All Access. Believe it or not, I subscribe to CBS All Access to watch that. And the first episode was really good, and then the rest of it was terrible. So that broke my heart. All right, Firestarter. This is not the original, but this is about a telekinetic family who goes on the run after the wrong people find out that their daughter can start fires with her eyes. Yes, is it with her eyes? Or her mind? I I think it's her eyes. Because they say, like, if you don't have vision, you can't use it or something. Okay, yes, that's a good... Oh, yes, because he's... Um, John is closing her eyes and he says you can't do it. That's right. This is a Blumhouse production. It's directed by Keith Thomas, who um, previously did a movie called The Vigil in 2019. It was written by Scott Teams, who was a writer, guys, on Halloween Kills. (laughs) And is based on the novel by Stephen King. There's also the original 1984 film. Justin, what are your general thoughts on this, and would you recommend people watch it? So, guys, I'm a big... One of my weaknesses for movie reviews is I like to read stuff before I watch the movie and people were absolutely destroying this film like the worst reviews ever i'm talking like worse than morbius and like people were taking pictures and posting it of like completely barren theaters and they were like this is the worst thing i've ever seen and full disclosure of the three hosts on wheel of horror i'm the least like Mm horror-esque so i've never seen the original didn't know it was a book didn't even know stephen king did it so I went in with like next to no expectations, and I gotta say, it wasn't bad. Okay. Okay. Fair now, enough. Now, if you're if you're a fan, like you guys sound like you're fans of, of OG Stephen King, you're probably gonna hate it. So, Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, I um, I was of of the three screensavers here. I was the last one to see it, so I was listening to these guys be like, "Oh, it's terrible. I'm not, it wasn't that good." <laughs> um, so I was expecting it to be like unwatchable garbage, but it wasn't. It it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was great. I I hesitate to say it was good, but it wasn't like. I I appreciate what it tried to do. I you know it, it took a few more liberties with the story than it needed to because I start I read like half the book before I saw the old the original movie which I saw first and then this one so I saw I got a lot of Firestarter lore and stuff like all in a row. Um, it, the new one it definitely took more liberties with the story than it needed to I feel like um which we can get into once we start talking about plot details I one one thing it did do right I think is it actually cast a Native American actor to play a Native American character with yeah. Rainbird because Rainbird in the novel is very clearly a Native American man they cast George T Scott in the original movie to play Rainbird, who is most probably most famously known for playing General Patton in Patton. Mm-hmm. So very I mean, I'm sure in the eighties they didn't think twice about it, but in a with a twenty twenty two lens, like it's kind of like, uh, was that really could they really not find a single Native American actor? I don't know. But who am I to nitpick it? I'm just glad they uh they at least did it in this one. Um, 
Yeah, you, you're right. It's totally messed up. And this is Michael Gray eyes, and I love Michael Gray eyes, but yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, I, th- I thought he was fine. I thought most of the acting was fine. They did the best they could with what they had for a script, which I thought was the most lacking point, or the lack- most lacking part of it. Because the pacing really just left me bored for most of it. I was also kind of bored during the original, too, though, so I can't say it was like a vast downgrade or like a huge downgrade from the original. But overall, I mean, I guess if you're interested, check it out. It's not a long movie, so you're not really committing yourself to too much time for it. But um, go in with low expectations, and yeah, then you'll probably find find something out of it. Yeah, yeah, we should mention this is streaming on Peacock, if anybody is interested, in addition to being in theaters. Tyler, what did you think? So I'm just going to preface this by saying I did not see the original. I didn't read the book. I knew nothing about this story. So I went into this completely blind. And I'm going to start off with what I liked about this movie, and that was that it was only an hour and a half long. That, that's 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 <laughs> what I liked. However, it's an hour and a half long with about five minutes of plot in it. <laughs> so, like, I... I yeah. I, I don't know if this is true, I'm speculating entirely here, but I feel like the filmmakers wanted this to be longer, and like the studio was like, nah, you got 90 minutes, that's that's way too long for this, like we're just shoving this out to like a dual release, we're not expecting this to make money, and like the they had the, like, the entire script written and like, oh okay, I guess we just gotta throw on the, the climax at the end here for the last 10 minutes, like... It's such a boring movie, in my opinion. I finished this movie, and I'm just like, what did I watch? Like, I don't even remember like, what it was. Nothing stuck with yeah. me. It, it, The characters, like, their motivations were nonsensical to me, especially the main villain of Rainbird. Like, I didn't understand his arc at all. Uh, the, the acting was so wooden and boring. Like, it, so many scenes of just pure exposition that, like, the actors weren't interested in. So I'm like, why do I care about any of this? I don't care how they got their powers. I don't care what they can do. The powers change every five minutes. Like, oh, you have our powers too. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll use that once <laughs> for, for a later effect. But, ah, it's just like, I didn't care about any of the characters, so there's no emotional impact at all. Uh, d- like you mentioned, Matt, with the pacing, like, it just made it so boring, and it's such a long drag of a movie. And then all of a sudden, the, I, I, took, I paused it to go to the bathroom at one point, and I'm like, there's 20 minutes left in this movie? Nothing's happened yet. <laughs> and then... They really do just shove, like, ten minutes of actual plot in. Um, and, like, I, I was just shocked this was a Blumhouse movie. Because there's not even a remote horror sense to it. Not even one that, like, they tried and failed. They don't even try. Like, I can't think of one scene that's supposed to be any horror, like, elements to it. Um, and you asked if I would recommend this to someone? Mike? I did, yes. Okay, well, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna say I would recommend this to someone if you gotta if you if you have someone you know, and you want to let them know you don't like them very much, but you don't want to tell them to their face. Just be like, hey, I think you'd really like the movie Firestarter. <laughs> Give that a watch, and they'll get the message. <laughs> yeah, I I was also surprised this was a Blumhouse production. As I mentioned before, there are those Stephen King adaptations that aren't very good but they're enjoyable or fun. This isn't even one of those. I have no malice towards this movie. I don't hate it or anything like that. But if this movie couldn't be great or even good, and I mean this as a compliment, it could have at least been a fun Sunday afternoon crazy movie that you watch on sci-fi. But this starts out not very good, and it gets even worse. It's not scary. It's not suspenseful. 
As you said, none of the characters are very likable, except for Irv. You forgot about Irv. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And I want to have a conversation about Irv. And frankly, some of the acting just isn't very good. The script is not good, so there's not going to be any virtuoso performances. But even for this script, some of it's not great. So much of the story is unclear. I am I the am I alone in that? No, not at all. Did you guys not understand parts of this movie? I, I was very lost for a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is like a ninety-minute, pretty straightforward person with telekinetic powers, and I didn't understand it. I think I um, uh, I think I because I had watched the original back to back with this. I think I was able to put the pieces together well enough. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a good thing this was on Peacock because I kept rewinding things thinking that, like, I'd miss something. <laughs> and then I would go back and I'd be like, oh, no, that just isn't explained at all. But as you guys mentioned, you know, it's Matt, you said you appreciated what it was trying to do. And I, and I do, too. You know, there were kind of these, they were, like, trying, I think, to go for this theme of, like, shoving parts of yourself down and how that can lead to, like, eating away at your insides. And then they kind of had this other one about not committing violence, even when it seems to make sense or even when it seems righteous because it's just going to cause more destruction, which I thought was pretty emotionally mature. Unfortunately, it was just embedded in this narrative that wasn't fascinating whatsoever. Um, Don't they kind of undo that narrative, though? Well, yes, they do. Because there's just, like you said, there's just the 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 explosion third act scene. Did any of these performances stand out to you guys? Because one of my big complaints about this was that um, the parents Andy and Vicky, played by Zac Efron and Sidney Lemon, do not seem like they're the parents of Charlie, played by Ryan Kiera Armstrong. Like they just. There wasn't, like, a parent-child chemistry between them, but maybe I'm just crazy. I agree with you, and I think that's the entire reason for that pancake scene in the beginning. That's literally the only one that they they threw that in there to be like, oh, he's making pancakes because he's such a supportive parent. And then, like, there was no chemistry between all three of them at all. Like, they seemed to hate each other. Also, did they say what time in the morning was that? Because if it's, like, 4 a.m., I don't care how much I love my dad. I don't. I don't want pancakes at 4 a.m. Um, how do you guys feel about the effects? It wasn't bad. It was okay. Um, I mean, the one thing, going back to what you just said, like, th- I mean, this movie definitely fell short. I'm not gonna, you know, make uh, any excuses for it. But I gotta give Zac Efron a little bit of credit because this movie was pretty out of his element. Like. Usually he plays, like, the comedic kind of dumb role. Um, I don't know why, personally, these actors were chosen for this film. I I would have thought that for a film that Stephen King wrote a book for, like, they'd get big-name horror actors to kind of draw you into the theater, opposed to, like, throwing Zac Efron in it. But I got to give him credit because... You know, he tried. Yeah. He tried a more serious role. Yeah. I, I That's what I was trying to say, too. Like, a lot, I didn't I didn't think the acting was that bad, either. Like, they, they did the best with what they could, I felt like. Yeah. I guess the main, the main question is, is, like, why was this the best that they had, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. It is a cast against type. Um, although he was Ted Bundy in the... the <laughs> Movie that's titled. I still don't know what the title is. Wait, let me try it. And you guys, 
Please look it up and tell me if I'm right. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's it. Yep. The fact that you you can't quickly tell <laughs> is indicative that that is the worst title. I that believe I have it's heard. like uh, the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say about the effects. I I hated the fireball effect where it just kind of formed in the air. <laughs> Shut off. I thought that looked ridiculous. And I like how in a movie where Kurtwood Smith, best part of this movie, uh, they, they give him like five seconds of screen time. But um, he, yeah. he's like, she's capable of a nuclear explosion one day. So I'm like, wow, this is a powerful person. The extent of power shown is basically the equivalent of like taking an aerosol can and a lighter and spraying. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's but how he, strong. you know, he meant one day like I she know, but I mean, that if she... I, I would have liked to see a little and more. <laughs> one of the the biggest negative reviews that I read was that he only was in it for like 60 seconds, mm-hmm. and he, his like backstory of him being this you know like evil scientist who was injecting people with this this like mutant shit it, like it could have been a really cool like they could have added 25 minutes of him doing these procedures and they were just like mm. let's just show him putting like pixie dust in a home and then that's it <laughs> uh honestly though like i don't know about you guys i got really big wolverine vibes from this film um like the the main female bad guy was like striker to me mm. and Literally, the scene where uh, Efron and the girl went to that old guy's farmhouse and the cops showed up was, like, taken directly from Wolverine where the feds showed up at the barn oh, yeah, and that... had to escape. So that's... I kind of viewed it like that. Like, I left the movie being like, this could be a really okay, low-budget, like, mutant film. Mm. I don't know if anyone else was on, on that page with me. I mean, when you... Yeah, it totally could i just i feel like without if if they're going for this script without the stephen king branding i don't know how many people are watching this if they had totally redone it as like a cool mutant film then yeah maybe but i think they were kind of just banking on the name stuff and then the movie just isn't very good yeah exactly it's too bad i don't this is going to be like nitpicky but in the scenes where, you know, like, she's heating up the rooms and the rooms are scalding, there's no sweat on anybody. <laughs> Everybody's maintaining their temperature. And then also, like, those contact lenses that they put in to, like, protect from mind control. Mm-hmm. Do any of you guys wear contacts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, I know how people, like, install. They install yeah. them very easily. They don't just, like, hover yeah. into your eye for, no. in midair. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That was the least dumb part of that, though. <laughs> Am I being too critical? But I was like, what is that? These are special contacts, dude. They're special. I guess so. Yeah. yeah, maybe I, I'm being too I, harsh. I gotta say, I laughed out loud when he's like, give me your gun. And he's like, no, I got protection. His eyes glowed. That's so dumb. How did you... Uh... How did you guys like when what's his name Rain Rainbird? Yeah, he was like expert one shot killing the cops, and then he blew out the old guy's kneecap. Like, like he couldn't just one shot kill him. He like hit him in yeah. the kneecap. We have a whole conversation coming about yeah. the herb I w- scene. I, I, I was like, what? What'd you miss? Or you just like well, wanted to torture the, that? The, old the guy? story needed him alive still. <laughs> it did it? No, it didn't. It, it didn't at all. I don't know. Oh. 
if we're talking about it more, I'll save my thoughts. But I did not understand the scene at all. Like why why Rainbird did it what was, he did. So, it was my favorite in the movie. Uh, one more thing before we get to spoilers: the score by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Daniel Davies. Incredibly Halloween-esque. Not only Halloween-esque, I was getting notes of the original Goosebumps series theme song. The little... That was a terrible imitation, but you guys know what I mean if you ever watch the show. That's what I was getting. Like, so much so that my ignorant brain noticed it. You know what I mean? Uh, You guys ready for spoilers for this? Sure. Yeah. Let's go. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Why not? Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. Uh, Spoilers for Firestarter. The intro with the bedroom on fire scene... I, I could kind of tell this was a dream because his baby just lights on fire. Not only that, even before the baby, his baby's room is on fire. The little mobile spinning above her head is is spitting sparks. And he's just like, oh, oh, whoa. What's going on here? <laughs> was that supposed to be a dream? I thought it was like a flashback. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I'm assuming it was a flashback after because, but in the honestly, in the beginning, I couldn't tell. My favorite part of that was how he smacked it, and then it fell directly onto the baby. Yeah. Like, I would have just taken the baby out, but I don't know. It's a dream. I mean, the, the baby also looked incredibly fake. Especially when it caught like, fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm questioning him as a life coach. I, he gets rid of this woman's addiction, a smoking addiction, correct? Yeah. And... He does it in like three seconds without doing anything physical or without guiding her through any exercise whatsoever. And she's just like, yeah, I'll give you $500. Like nobody's questioning this guy's method. And it's not his first customer. Nobody's questioning how this guy is doing this. I was also wondering how she like, oh, yeah, I don't need a cigarette now. It was two (laughs) seconds. Like you wouldn't have had one anyway. So how do you know you just feel like? One thing I want to point out with the scene when they show in this adaptation how he uses his powers, neither this one nor the original did justice to at least how I imagine him using his powers from what I read of the book. Because in the original it has him like putting his hands on his temples and like going almost like Professor X style on these uh, to use his powers. And in this one, what does he like crack his neck, was it? He just like he cracks, cracks his, his neck, neck and he, and he cries like, blood. Yeah, it just, it I don't know. Sounds like the worst battle cry imaginable. Crack your neck and cry blood. <laughs> Charging. And then it's a thousand degrees in the room, and she's still just like, Charlie, you okay? Like, I don't get out of there. What are you doing? And well, then I find it kind of odd how, like, first of all, if this was real, I feel like you as parents would be homeschooling your kid, right? Yeah. If she, like, had this uncontrollable fire ability. And then I found it super odd how, like, these scientists had, like, their own personal satellite that, like, they somehow programmed to be, like, anything, any random, like, heat exposure pickup, which could be all across the world at any moment. But they, like, 
they like set it to pick up at like elementary schools right and then this this one like burst happened and they were like there she is that's where she is like it's just like well that could have been anything it's just a gas leak you know what but yeah but in the prequel they're gonna show them going to ninety thousand different schools where kids are just smoking in the bathroom and they go oh oh sorry guys i i just want to mention the teacher Cause she was a horrible teacher. That dude's like, "You're a weirdo. You weird kid. You weirdo." She's like, just standing there, like, "Yeah, that's fine." <laughs> oh yeah, dude. That kid went up to her like point blank and nailed her in the face with a dodgeball. And the teacher was like, "I didn't see anything." <laughs> like, yeah. dude, what are you talking about? And the same when she's like, yeah, she's badgering Charlie to get on some Wi-Fi, and you know. School budgets are a real thing. Fun schools, please. But then she has a chalk drawing of frog anatomy at the front on the chalkboard. Like, I can we get a more realistic depiction, a smart a screen, a projector, something? You drew out all the parts of a frog in chalk? How's that supposed to give anybody a good idea? How many 10-year-olds are dissecting frogs in school? Yeah, dude, we did that in, like, like, what, seventh grade or something, but she's definitely in like third yeah. grade. <laughs> I don't know. That's that was an odd scene to me, and too. Then, and then, same with like the dad. So, if your daughter, when she gets emotionally upset, shoots fire as a dad, if she's getting upset, are you gonna scream at her to calm down? He's like, Calm down, this is your life, deal with it, man. <laughs> Dude, that scene, that scene was so tense, dude. When she caught on fire, Zach was like yelling at. Her. I was like, dude, you gotta relax. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, because he's so calm later in the cat scene, when the cat scratches her, she gets upset. She burns the cat, but the cat is only half dead. Um, and he teaches her to put it out of its misery. But he chooses that moment to teach her about pronouns. Uh, did you guys oh, catch yeah, that, that? that? I was like, what? They're really going to say this? Like, they're going to yeah. do that joke. They mentioned, they did the, the pronoun thing, and then also, like, Zach really uncomfortably when she said, like, I don't know what she said. She said, like, she's going through something, and he was, like, like a girl thing. And I was like, why are you, why are you doing that? Yeah. This isn't necessary. No. <laughs> These are all things that should be discussed in movies. But it's just, like, so out of place and awkwardly handled that, like, please stop it. We need to add that cat to the in-memoriam segment at the end of the year also. Oh, yeah, that'll be our first one, that poor cat. Also, I thought this was going to come back later when he's like, oh, you have to put it out of her misery. I thought she was going to do that to Irv's wife at first. Hmm. And then I thought she was going to do it to Irv. Neither of those things happen. Still not sure what happens to either of those characters. So we need to talk about Irv, guys. <laughs> Wait, what happened to the wife? Was she just, like, there alone? This is one of my questions. So as you mentioned, Irv is shot. He's he's down, but he's not out yet. And then they just leave. What, if, yeah. Let's assume that Irv is dead. What happens to his wife? She'll be dead in a couple weeks, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's terrible. See, this, I mean, I gotta I, like you gotta assume someone's gonna respond to all the cops being shot, right? So they're just gonna leave that. That's true. So, this, someone will discover that's him. True. This movie did a whole disservice to Irv and his wife because in the book and in the original, um, they're I mean, it's pretty much the same. Irv picks them up while they're hitchhiking, but then like, first of all, the wife isn't 
in the state she's in in this movie. She actually, like, is a functioning person. She wasn't in an accident, you know. Um, she, you know, brings Charlie around, feed, shows her how to feed the chickens and stuff. It was really sweet. They they play them up as Good Samaritans, and then at the end of the original, they take her in after after her dad dies. And it's like, oh, that's sweet. Um, these are good. These are good people, and they just totally sidelined them in this one. See, I like that. Um, I there was a very awkward pause when the little girl said like. Like, your wife said something to me, like, she wants to tell you. And I was waiting for her to say something messed up, and she was like, she wants to die. Like, I expected her to say that. And then she said, she forgives you. I was like, "Eh, that's kind of lame, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I also thought that's where it was going, because, like, it just seemed Right, dude? (laughs) Yeah, I thought she was going to euthanize the wife, but... So Irv... Yeah. Irv played wonderfully by John Beasley, let me say that. Wonderful performance. They didn't do his character justice. In the beginning, when Charlie sees the wife, and he's like, oh, I'm upset, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I overreact. That made sense. But then let's break down the situation. He's sitting there watching TV. He's just picked up a man and his daughter. And then on TV, the news says that the man that he picked up is a wanted wife killer. Can I just cut in real quick here? So he, yes. he keeps rewinding that. How long do you think he was rewinding that, waiting for <laughs> Zach Efron to wake yeah. up so he could walk he's in like, at the exact time? He's like, man, I'm really drunk. I got to keep yeah. rewinding this. <laughs> Plus, we know that he'd already called the cops by the time that he came out. <laughs> so he comes out. Um, Andy confronts him. He's like, oh, no, I'm not a wife killer. And Irv goes, are you telling me I can't trust the TV? And we're like, Irv. Media competency, man. Come on. You get Zach Efron's. Oh, shocker. <laughs> yeah, he does. He burns yeah. up. You think realistically, if he had already called the cops, he would try and act like as not suspicious as possible and change the channel. Like, I'm just watching the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. Like, nothing to be suspicious. But he, like, specifically had it on him being wanted. If he was a wife killer, it would have been really bad. I, yeah, I mean, so. yeah. I think it's recommended that when you feel in danger and you call the cops on someone, you're supposed to confront them before the cops come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some something I do wish I I felt really let down by the Zac Efron Rainbird fight. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Man. I thought I thought when they did their their clicking thing, I thought they were gonna have some like intense psychosis battle in their heads of them like pushing. And it was literally just Zach started bleeding and collapsed, and I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's weak. I, I also want to say that, the, like, what he did with his time before he collapsed was, like, Rainbird looks at her, and she disappeared. Was he supposed to be like, oh, no, she's gone. <laughs> Darn. That's, that sucks. I better leave. <laughs> like, what was the plan there? I don't know. I Did you guys find Irv's story to the cops convincing? <laughs> Uh, I mean, if he's, like, the town drunk, I mean, they, they seem to, like, kind of believe him, you know? Like, he's watching the story, he got drunk, he fell asleep. Uh, but, yeah, no, no. I also love that when he's... what One, his strategy to confront Andy is to, like, push him on the shoulder. Which I, I'm sure Irv can throw down, but that was not the move. And then once Andy convinces him, he's like... Oh, sorry, I overreact sometimes. You calling the cops 
after seeing a news report saying that that man is a wanted killer is the perfect response, Irv. You're not <laughs> overreacting. <laughs> not in any way. But, so, two, two things I want to bring up here. First, it's just, this is just a nitpick that, like, most people outside of the state wouldn't even understand. But this is supposed to be in Massachusetts, I believe. The, the, the geography of this makes no sense. I think it's in Massachusetts no. still at this point. And you're gonna have sheriff's deputies arriving like that. We, we don't use the sheriffs in this part in this state. <laughs> they, don't, they don't respond to anything. So that it just felt. And also Swithin County. What do you? What? What is that? You're just making up a place. What was it called? Swithin County was what the yeah. car was. <laughs> that no, that's not a, not a current county. They also uh, had to force so like, this into Massachusetts. Yeah, like the... if they never mentioned it, I would have just thought it was in some generic place. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't care. It was fun. Maybe it was because of Stephen King. They're like, oh, it's got to be New England somewhere. Well, but the, yeah, I didn't care. The original book and the movie, the original movie, both they took place in New York and then Vermont, and then Virginia, mm. all yeah. reasonable places that don't need to be changed at all. How do for, you how do you read no that? Reason. And you're like, okay, we're gonna set it all in Massachusetts. Although it might be in Maine at the end because they showed a Maine plate, but I, I'm going to bring up a thing about that. But also just this, just I don't understand Rainbird, his whole motivation. So at, when he when he's first killing the wife, the wife is like, when you see her, you'll understand, which is never explained. I'm guessing because she's a little girl, but he sees her because he's holding her hostage and he's, his intent is to capture her. He comes back to the farm, kills the cops, which the cops were about to leave anyway, so I don't understand why he killed the cops. If he waited two seconds, they would have just left. And then, like, so I'm assuming he's still trying to capture the girl at this point. And then, like, all of a sudden, they're like, when they're like, oh, the father will bring him to you, but you'll understand when you see her that you can't keep her. What What are you talking about? <laughs> you spent the whole movie trying to capture her. When did you have a change of heart? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know at all what was going on with Captain Hollister. Do you guys have any insight as to what was going on with that character? No, not at all. She wanted to capture her to, like, I guess, use her and try and control her. But, uh, you know, she could have blown up the whole planet. That's why he said just, you know, take her down. But then why didn't yeah, he let I... them leave? Like, he, the cops were leaving. If his goal was to let them escape, why did he fight the father and like why did he kill the cops rain rainbird's whole story arc is kind of like confusing because they called up like this like ex-badass mercenary who used to hunt mutants and they're like we're putting you back in like you're off the bench and he's like okay sure i guess and he's killing everybody and then he gets a change of heart at the end i guess because he felt terrible after he already did everything bad and yeah, I don't know. But why did he feel terrible? It's like he was doing bad things for no reason. And then he's like, oh, you know what? That's actually bad that I did that. I just slaughtered a bunch of cops for no reason. That's that's bad. Well, he wasn't sympathetic in the original, I don't believe. So this was just another way for them to be like, oh, you thought it was gonna work, happen this way, but not really. But they didn't. Like they basically yeah. just like, changed the the entire. Like they changed so many characters and so many plot points for no reason because i mean he, he, it didn't work that's the pro that's the whole problem but he wasn't sympathetic at all in this movie like he literally murdered I, her mother no, yeah. murdered I, a I, bunch I'm of saying, cops yeah. murdered an innocent man beat the shit out of her father 
And then <laughs> was like, ah, okay, it, now I, I, I'm freeing you now, even though you burned everyone down. But like, I'm just gonna let you go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying I thought he was. I'm just saying they tried. It seemed like they were trying, but I could be wrong. Yeah, but they were both telekinetic, so that's the connection. Well, I, Nobody understands. Well, yeah, I was gonna say didn't they they put in a line about them like experimenting on him too before yeah, they got he to was the coeds. Yeah, they so blind I guess him. I guess that's supposed to make us feel bad. I got what they were going for, like, oh, the kinship of they are of a certain kind, you know, not other people are like them, but I just, no, it wasn't fully, it was a very, very last minute switch that you're just like, okay, I we knew that she needed to get out of this institution somehow, so yeah, let's just throw a rainbird in I'm there. Gonna, I'm going to beat a dead horse here, because that, that is absolutely what they were doing, but look at this from the perspective of Charlie. So she's seen this man twice. One, after she discovered her, her mother's dead body, after him, he killed her. Two, when she walked out outside and there were cops dead and the guy that was, she was, like, helping, lying on the floor, bleeding out. And then she, he's beating his dad, her dad with a rifle. And then she's just like, oh, yeah, this is my next new father figure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a bit cheesy at the end when she held his hand, but, dude, I'm, yeah, there's no excuse. I don't know. You gotta take it for what it is, I guess. Like, I didn't understand what they wanted Charlie to be at the end, because clearly they wanted her to be this destructive force. And then she was like, I don't want to be. Like, she just burned an innocent woman to death. Like, she vaporized her. And then like, oh, but I can't do this to Rainbird. That'd be messed up. (laughs) It begs the question, what happens? Where do they go? What do they do? Are they laying low? Are they finding a permanent home? What kind of life is there for them? I don't know. They're going to return the bicycle back to those kids. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for this. In here, here is a sandwich to replace them. So oh, this man. is this is where I was confused on the geography of this. So I'm guessing the DSI headquarters. Um, which, if you're gonna set a climax, give us thing anything better than like just a concrete building where <laughs> there's no features inside. Um, but I'm guessing that was set in Maine because the guy had a Maine license plate that they like focused on. Yeah. So she was in Massachusetts and she took the bike from the kids, and she's like, "Which way is the coast?" And they pointed in a general direction, oh, and man. she somehow got to Maine based on the fact that they pointed <laughs> it in a single direction. And found this building. Also, at that age, do you know in which direction the coast is in? <laughs> I, I, coast? I don't know which way it is. <laughs> she, she rode her bike for like 25 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had to have at least gone through New Hampshire. like Because I don't think there's any piece of border of, that between Massachusetts and Maine. They're, they're pretty sure New Hampshire's there. So, mm. how did you guys like her her training montage in the forest where she learned how to use her abilities? Where like she looked at the the patch of wood and she was like she like stared at it and it caught on fire like in a, a little fireplace and she was like I'm ready now. Well, the, <laughs> I was gonna say she completely justified the mother's things because if that's all it took to train her, you could have avoided all this. <laughs> like the mother wanted her to train to use the powers. All you had to do was have her stare at some wood, and in three attempts, she'd be like a master of her powers. <laughs> yeah, I, the mom really deserved better. Yeah, it was. It's, I don't know. You guys have any final thoughts on Firestarter? 
as a as a standalone movie, I'd say it's okay. It, as a Stephen King adaptation, I, I would say it failed poorly. It was poorly done. Well, if you were one of the people who saw Firestarter, any Stephen King adaptation, or watched anything else cool, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, tell a movie fan, tell a friend, rate and review on all your favorite podcast apps. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Justin, where can you be found online? Uh, at Horror Wheel on Twitter, WheelofHorrorPodcast.com, and Wheel of Horror on Instagram. Matt. You can find me at MattyXSturds, S T U R D Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sipkis, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Tyler96. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and I'm letterboxed at M Gallet. Well, Justin, thank you so much for listening. Every Everybody go listen to Wheel of Horror. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Take care. Stay down to bone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> see you guys. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallet, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant. Additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.